Good morning, everyone. My friends, as you heard, the priests will be gathering in ocean shores, uh, all the priests of the archdiocese. It's a time of prayer and a time of communication from the archbishop to us and with each other. And uh, one of the big things that we will be talking about is the partners in the gospel, in particular, uh, the family parishes. And uh, so my friends, um, with St. Nicholas, uh, we will be part of a family. Uh, we're not going to be not included in this. So uh, it's just a matter of what is that configuration going to look like? Uh, will, I be, will we become part of a family that has four parishes, five parishes, two parishes? Uh, it's yet to be determined. And uh, friends, uh, in our gospel, uh, what happens just before the account that's given today uh, Jesus has healed some people, and um, Jesus' cures and his words have awakened hostility in the Pharisees and the scribes and the leaders of his time. And on the other hand, it has created amazement and hunger among the people, as we heard. And uh, we are told he's moved with pity and concern for them. And um, I thought about this, <clears throat> and in the very same way, um, the Archbishop's announcement that this is what our diocese, our archdiocese was going to do is angered some, <laughs> confused others. Maybe others are kind of happy because maybe they're actually going to get a priest now instead because the truth of the matter is there's not enough of us. And um, I thought about if Jesus had done everything he was doing then and he did it today, would it be the same reaction? And... Um, in our world that's becoming even more secular, um, I wonder if it would be difficult even for Jesus to arouse that incuriosity and hunger within the people that could hear him. And yet, my friends, it, and you know this, um, there are many within our church and without our church, meaning in the world, uh, that are in need of his word, in need of his ministering. They need his message, and generally speaking, in the Catholic Church, we are short of ordained ministry. Uh, those priests and bishops and deacons uh, who bring us the word and the bishops and priests who bring the sacraments uh, to us. Uh, the priests are spread very thin these days. And at the same time, uh, and I can attest to this with our parish, it is growing. Our parish is growing, even as the Gig Harbor community grows. And it's becoming larger and as it does, um, a lot of parishes, some parishes have done better to navigate, but some parishes uh, since COVID have restricted what they do and how they go about doing it, ministries. And, uh, and yet the church is growing. And um, I think for some parishes, one of the greatest casualties that has happened is a loss of a sense of community. We certainly felt this during COVID and some parishes have done really wonderful. <laughs> Bye-bye, little one. We'll see you when you come back with Dad. Huh? <laughs> this sense of community in the parish and, uh, and even the possibility for parishers not to feel at home because they don't know each other. And one of my concerns uh, with the parish family system that will come is that and I told people last night, and I felt bad for them because I really didn't feel well last night, um, so I was really scattered, was that I had this dream where 
St. Nicholas of Gig Harbor became a mega church with 30,000 members who didn't know each other. I didn't know anybody. <laughs> I just showed up and delivered homilies. <laughs> and that's my fear that this would happen. So when the families are created, some of them will have five parishes. The ultimate will become one. And here, we are, we are up to uh, 1,500, 1,600 families. That's families. If each family has three or four members, then we're already at 15,000, 20,000 members. And that certainly is big enough to handle Gig Harbor, Alala, uh, Port Orchard, those kind of things. So um, <clears throat> I hope this doesn't happen. So what do we do? We certainly come together and we pray. And then I took note of what Jesus tells his original apostles. He says, don't go into pagan territories. Do not go into the Samaritan town. Go to your own people. And perhaps part of the partners in the gospel, the evangelization and the creating of the family is us doing that. Not going out into pagan territory, but sticking to our own for a while and evangelizing our own and being stronger as a family. And so my friends, um, I also looked at um, the names of the apostles uh, that are given. And maybe at the time when Matthew was writing, at the time when Jesus spoke it, I don't think he called them apostles, he called them disciples. The apostles would come later. Uh, but the list of the names given, um, each one of those apostles, sometimes we forget because they were known as a unit, uh, each one of them were very individuals. They had their own personal names. And, um, and we know from the scriptures that each one of them were, certainly were imperfect and uh, had their problems and challenges. And, and yet Jesus called them anyway. And he entrusted them with the ministry uh, that would come. And he gave them new life is what he ultimately gave them. And the names of the 12 apostles, we have Simon, the, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, uh, Philip and Bartholomew, and Thomas. There's Matthew, who is the tax collector, and um, a parishioner last night, because I said, I don't know if we had any tax collectors in our parish, and she said, you most certainly did, Father, two of them, who worked for the IRS agents, because I knew them. <laughs> I said, Okay. And we had James, the, uh, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. We had Simon of Cana. And then also, let us not forget Judas Iscariot, who would become the traitor. Jesus chose these, these men. And that doesn't even include the women that were hanging around Jesus. The evangelist mentions two sets of brothers, uh, Peter and Andrew, mentioned at the beginning. And remember, Peter would deny Jesus three times. Andrew, like the other apostles, abandoned Jesus on the day of crucifixion. The next two brothers are James, the son of Zebedee, and John. And John, as we know, was the only one who stayed. He stayed close to the women who were at the crucifixion. You know, they were at the cross. But it was he and his brother also, remember, when they sent their mother to Jesus. Mom, go and tell Jesus to put us at the left and right hand of, of Jesus. <laughs> and I remember this because that's an expression of their pride and arrogance. Uh, and then they used their mom uh, to try and get at it. But 
these are just the first of the four apostles, and if uh, I wonder if we really knew great detail about each one of them, will we be all that surprised by their, who they are and their behavior? Will we still be surprised that Jesus called them? Nonetheless, he knew them, for he is the Son of God, and he understood their hearts, so he knew them deeply, and he called them nonetheless. And I joke about myself, you know, thinking I've been a priest now 15 years, and I still wonder what Jesus was up to when I ran away for so long, and yet he still chose me. He chose me to become a priest. So when I look at the apostles, I just laugh, and I'm like, yeah, I'd feel real comfortable with them, wouldn't I? The twelve were certainly specifically chosen by Jesus, and even more importantly, he sent them in his name. He told them, you will be my ambassadors, you will be my representatives. And they were distinct in their personalities as well as in their names, and they were selected, um, if you will, to renew the twelve tribes of Israel. That's why he chose the twelve. And they were diverse in their political loyalties, and they were diverse in their professions. Matthew um, is the tax collector. He represented the Roman government. And my friends, I was laughing at me because Simon is a zealot. He couldn't stand the Roman government. So I thought when Jesus came to t together with them to eat dinner, did he put them at opposite ends of the table because they were glaring at each other? You see the diversity in what Jesus would do. He would bring all of these together. And um, he sent all of them to announce his presence and to speak about his father. He called them to be partners in the healing of human society and proclaiming God's work in this world. My friends, this gives us hope to look back and see what Jesus did with these 12 men and the women that follow Jesus immediately, it gives each of us hope. As we know, there are different vocations uh, right in this, right here. Uh, there's marriage, there's priesthood, there's the religious life, there's the life of solitude that some monks take. But the one thing that brings us together uh, is the vocation of being a disciple of Christ. If you are baptized, you are his disciple. And in this, you have a vocation. Your vocation is to holiness and to um, becoming saints. All the apostles became saints with the exception of Judas, the Iscariot, the traitor. So my friends, here we see Jesus. He calls his disciples. You are his disciples now. And he says, ask the master to send laborers. And uh, often this gospel reading is used to promote priesthood the ministerial priesthood and the religious life. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. And that's what we do when we come to Mass. We offer our prayers through Jesus to the Father, asking him for everything. We ask him to increase his priesthood here on earth. Priests and deacons and religious are essential to the Catholic way of life. But this passage is not limited to that only. I believe this passage talks about all those who are baptized and that all of us and all of you are called his disciples and therefore he has a mission for each one of you. 
you all have been baptized and you have been given a vocation to be his disciple, uh, to walk in holiness, and to speak about the Father in his name. All of you also have occupations. We have doctors and scientists and law enforcement, and we have technology folks, so we have all kinds of folks in our parish. And those are occupations, but you have a vocation as a baptized person to be a disciple of Jesus, to walk in holiness, and to commit yourself to the Lord in your state of life. I believe if the disciples today, the members of our church, would come to recognize God as the source of all things, their hearts would be different, they would respond differently and act differently in the world. Certainly they would become very grateful about the gifts and then be eager to use those gifts to show love for God and each other. And so my friends, um, we pray, but what is one of the most practical things for you as disciples? I'm also a disciple. You belong to the royal priesthood. In your discipleship, I belong to the royal priesthood, but also God called me to the ministerial priesthood. And it's not for everybody. But um, knowing that you are disciples, I want you to remember Jesus' words uh, from John's gospel. On that night uh, before he would be crucified, what we call the Last Supper, Jesus said, I have given you a model to follow so that what I have done for you, you should do for others. And the Lord meant this not only for what we know as his apostles, but he meant it for all those who would become his disciples later. So what are you supposed to do? I think we can find that in Matthew's gospel, and we'll talk about this later uh, in the weeks to come. But Matthew 25, uh, there Jesus says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me to drink. A stranger, and you clothed me. Ill, and you cared for me. In prison, and you visited me. And Jesus went on in that passage. Matthew said, the people asked Jesus, when do we do that for you? And Jesus said, you did this for me whenever you did this for someone else. So this is what you're supposed to be doing. And certainly as a church we do this, but you individually must be doing this in your own state, wherever you find yourselves, wherever you are in your workplace, wherever you are in your social circles. And uh, it's a template uh, about our vocation. And uh, I strongly believe that when we pray and we ask God, will you send laborers, I can almost hear him saying, I have the answer to your prayers sitting in your pews, Father Mark. So it makes me wonder, as pastor, have I failed to bring you guys to this point? And if I have, I'll have to double my efforts to get you guys stronger, um, <clears throat> more active, not only in the church ministry, but in ministry in general to the world, because that's what the disciples are called to do. For those who are sick, for those who are lonely, um, there are 1,400 families, there's 1,400 members, of, and there's only one priest so this must be the answer. And I believe this is what the Archbishop ultimately is trying to do and getting at by uh, changing and uh, readdressing things. So um, during my time uh, over these next couple of days, I asked all the members of the church to pray. Pray for us priests. Some of us have great anxiety 
about what's happening because we're, what are we supposed to do? And uh, my position has been, as you heard a few months ago, if the Archbishop has prayed and the Holy Spirit is guiding him, then we have nothing to be afraid of. We just need to follow. We just need to get behind. But that is not a promise that everything will be easy. It's just a promise that the fruitfulness will be at the end of it. And one of the ways we do this, we walk together. Deacon is going to lead on Monday night at 7 p.m. a rosary inside the church, offering prayers for the archbishop and all of us priests as we gather to talk uh, and to discuss these matters. And then so that we can come back uh, just renewed and fruitful and that Father Mark can come back to you. And I love you guys and you know that, I hope by now. And I always try and do what the Holy Spirit asks when it comes to you guys, to all of you. Uh, that I can, yes, yes, <laughs> um, to come back and to redouble my efforts and to get us prepared for that time. What time are we talking about? July of 2024, because that is when everything will be changed. And we will be ready, we will be disciples, we will move forward. The disciples in Jesus' time were really upset and angry when he left, <laughs> remember? And then the Holy Spirit came and guided them. In July, there's going to be a lot of upset people, <laughs> but we can gather together as a family and we can walk forward and make it work, particularly because this is what the Holy Spirit wants. But we have to be in the presence of Jesus as those apostles were in order to be transformed. We have to be open to it to be transformed. Jesus took a handful of men who were proud and ignorant and stubborn. All of them eventually betrayed Jesus because of fear. But then something miraculous happened. <clears throat> they became men and women of great courage, and they would eventually give their lives for Christ and his church. If each of us can find that same place that those original men and women, known as the apostles, did, the outcome will be wonderful because the outcome for them was the wonderful. Because look at we're here today. Right? So if you'll do this, if you'll pray, brothers and sisters, for each other <clears throat> and for our church and our local church here in Gig and uh, uh, for what is coming, we will be prepared. We will be ready. And we will walk together. Amen? <laughs>